ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Now, I know how it typically goes until I get tired of the questions. You may think, damn, Bonbonny, you look good tonight. You know, if you're watching this rather than listening. And so basically, you know, since we're in this work-at-home lifestyle, company got to, like, send you some stuff, you know, so you're able to do some things from the crib. And uh, one of the things that has been sent to me is what they call a ring light. Um, I actually have come to find that they now put these on webcams that you can like buy at the store, which is an indication of our fascinating time. But the ring light is basically a light that's a circle and like this shoots the circle. And in theory, like supposed to like hit your bow, like right in the face. And so normally I go over and I do the podcast on the couch in part because the acoustics are better on the couch. Um, and then I can like lean back and stuff. There's a whole bunch of factors. Anyway, I got that good light on me right now. So, you know, that's how you know I care. It's for all y'all. Anyway, I got a bicycle, right? My brother, uh, I think I talked to you guys about this part of this already. My brother uh, got himself a new bicycle. And so he gave me his old bicycle. And I had it and I recognized that I had never ridden a 10 speed bicycle before. I didn't really understand like the mechanisms of the gears and all that. I had to go on YouTube and do a little bit of learning, you know, all of that stuff. So anyway, got the bike. I probably spent like 300 fucking dollars, by the way, on bike stuff. Right. I had to buy a pump, had to buy a lock, had to buy a helmet. I don't think I about to spend $300. That seemed like a little bit much. But I done had to make like this required a capital investment that I really just thought I was getting a bike. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I'll take a bike. Why not? You know, beating over the head for that stuff with the bikes. Anyway, so Saturday, me and my brother are like, yo, let's ride our bikes in Central Park. Now, I'd again like to remind you, A, that I haven't ridden a bike in a very long time. I think that's the only actual reminder. The other part is, I may have told you guys about this. But while we doing this bid, I have given myself a bit of a like commitment, uh, dedication of sorts to physical fitness, right? Hitting the apps, doing some workouts, getting my yoga on. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to be looking like Bruce Lee when I get out of here. Like, that's, that's my goal. That's what I'm going for, right? Like I ain't never going to be swole, but I can get it right. You know what I'm saying? I may or may not even have a booty by the time this done. I've been working on them leg exercises. I feel a little different when I walk. I'm like, oh, okay. I see what this is. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, in step with my uh, rededication to the physical fitness, I did a leg day on uh, Friday. And it was a fairly strenuous leg day. And so after doing this leg day, my brother and I on Saturday said we're going to ride our bikes through the park. Okay. So I got to go to his crib and meet him because I ain't got a pump yet and I need some air in these tires. So I go over to his crib, get some air in the tires. And so we do that. And then we start riding to Central Park and like He's dusting me, dog. Like, I think he has forgotten that 
I am not like a regular bicycle rider. You know, he doesn't like, like, like he, he don't recognize this. So I'm trying to keep up, man. I'm huffing and puffing. Right. Like it's, the, like, it's a thing. I'm like, damn, man. Like what's going on here? Right. Then we get to like a major intersection and he goes through it and I can't cause I missed the light. I, I don't know what I'm man. This is not. And all this while, by the way, I'm trying to figure out these gears. Like he has been bicycling in a way that he has taken a lot of this for granted. In fact, I missed a very important detail, which is when I get to his house, what I don't realize is that he be like really riding these bikes or riding this bike. You know what I'm saying? Like he got, nah, he wasn't wearing like a special bike shirt, but he had a fancy helmet and he had on the gloves and his bike had the pedal that ain't a pedal. You know what I'm talking about? And so I looked down and so he got on like the bike shoes. I did not know that there were bike shoes. Like I was unaware. I just got a bike. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just, I just got a bike. All right. So, so we get to the park and we start riding. And he's like, look, man, uh, he starts telling me about his bike. Remember, I got the bike I got from him because he got a new bike. He starts telling me, man, he's like, yeah, man, this bike, man, I don't even really feel like I'm doing work. And I'm like, I do. I absolutely feel like I'm doing work. Like we going uphill. You know what I'm saying? I take my booty off the seat. You know, you know, get a little like extra momentum on this. Like somebody in the chat room talking about he cooks you. This wasn't no race. This wasn't supposed to be no competition. We supposed to be riding a bike through the park. You know? Socialization while engaging in social distancing, right? It's a perfect activity. We got masks on and shit, you know. So anyway, we going. And at some point, I'm like, yo, man, how much that bike cost you that you got? And he told me. And I say, okay. So how much this bike I'm on? How much did this cost? And he told me. The numbers weren't the same, guys. The numbers weren't the same. Uh, Bobby in the chat room is not far off. But the numbers were not the same. So I'm putting in this work. We're going up hills, right? I ain't even think about this as a thing. And, and the other thing about this is I don't really have no concept of, like, what's a long way to ride on a bike. I don't really have, like, no idea of what is like a long way to ride on a bike because the only concept i really got of people riding bikes now in my life is all these delivery people uh but they bikes got vroom vroom in it you know what i'm saying it ain't really a bike you know what i mean i don't know anything about that so i mean this is this for me guys this is a this is a strenuous workout right but i'm doing it i'm doing it right because one thing i can say and I don't have no like super extended track record of participation in sports. Right. But the one thing I did learn from playing like organized ball and like playing for school in particular is that you are tougher than you think you are. 
You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I learned. This shit is hard. This shit sucks. But you can do it. It is not going to kill you. Give it what you got. You probably can get over the hump on this, right? So, you know, a little peer pressure going to keep me going. So, you know, I made it through the entirety of the ride around the park. I think it's like a couple miles or something like that. Like, I did that. I don't know if that's a long way. I don't know if I should be proud of myself. I don't know. But I do know this. Um, I'm on the bike. We kind of going up this hill. And I feel a little tug on my right foot. And I'm like, right row, shoelace, done got caught in the pedal. Okay. But like, I recognize this early. And I call it out. I'm like, whoa, 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 right? Because otherwise this fool would be halfway home. You know what I'm saying? He ain't accustomed to looking back. It's just not how he operates, on a bicycle at least. So I slow the bike down. And so it's on my right foot that I'm having this problem. But I can't really, like, attend to it. I don't remember exactly where my foot or how it was set up, but I can't really attend to it and somehow I get the bright idea. And I've got the bike all the way slowed down, right? Somehow I get the bright idea that I'm just like, I can get my foot onto the ground off of the bike. Like I can, you know, take it to the angle and just lay it down. And I'll be able to put my foot down and it'll be all good. Except it became abundantly clear that I was not going to be able to get my foot down. Uh, by the way, you people saying 6.1 miles around Central Park. I feel you, but we were riding like inside the park, around the park, like there's trails and stuff. I don't know if we rode no six miles, to be perfectly honest. Right. That 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 feels that number feels high. Anyway, I try to step that foot down, get it, you know, perpendicular to the ground, and it ain't going perpendicular. It's going to the angle, and I realize there's nothing I can do to stop it. And so I land, and I, like, land right on my hip, and I landed on my shoulder. And so I come down on that, on this right side, and I'm still, like, kind of going. And so I need to kind of brace myself a little bit with the left hand and I got up, I'm in a, I'm in a salty mood. You know, it's not my brother's fault, but there's these stirrups that's on the pedals and I've been having the hardest time dealing with those. And I'm like, do I need these stirrups? You know, this is nobody's, this is no one's fault but my own. You know what I'm saying? It's a classic fall off your bike, kick your bike. Uh, I get up. He was like, well, first, are you hurt? I'm like, and I'm good for now. Right. So I get up. And my hands a little sting, you know, hands sting a little bit. You know, I knew I landed on the hip, had a little shoulder bang. I got up and did the rest of the ride. And I got back to the house. And let me actually retreat just a little bit to before I get to the house. Because let me tell you something about New York City and social distancing. I did not see any egregious examples of people disregarding social distancing while I was in Central Park. I did not. 
However, I don't think I have ever seen nearly as strict an adherence to social distancing as it felt like there was when I fell off of that bike. There was not a good Samaritan to be found, guys. Not one. They didn't know I was there with my brother. How would they know? Anyway, I get back to the crib. My brother sent me a text. He's like, yo, you ought to put some ice on that hip. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I give it a couple hours. And then I put the ice on the hip. And then, man, after I've been on the couch for a little bit, I tried to get up and do something else. Oh, man. This was like the whole Cedric the Entertainer. Like, when he fell down on the Kings of Cobb, he's like, man, my whole side. Like, my left hand was banged up. My right hand, my right hand still banged up. And I don't even remember, like, using that to hit the ground. My shoulder was all messed up. Like, I was, like, I, I could not, like, I could, like, walk around the crib and do stuff. But if I needed to, like, walk up the street, I ain't have nothing for you nothing at all and all i did was fall down and it got me to thinking how like kids fall off the bike they ain't never hurt necessarily but they get up and they do all that crying and everything else man but they shake it off and they good yo they the ones that got this right because i fell off that bike and i took it like a man yo man it's been five days i'm still feeling it i'm still feeling it like yesterday, it was only for like a couple hours, but it was bad. Like I was laid up for two days. And all I did was gently fall off a bicycle. That's it. I imagine that some of y'all, like somebody said in the chat, showing your age. And who knows, Sammy, you might be saying I'm showing my age because you about my age and you can relate. You might be young and you're like, yeah, 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 that's what happens to y'all. Yeah, baby, that's what's going to happen to you. Like falling, I always say about sports, I don't think this gets discussed nearly enough, man. Like we be talking about them big old jacked up hits and stuff like that. We don't give them cats nearly enough credit for the fact that they be like falling down all the time. Like, I fell on my hip. My hip, dog. My hip. I ain't even got no hips. That's what I'm saying. That's part of my dedication to physical fitness. That's so weird. If I ain't got no booty, why my glutes hurt? You know what I'm saying? Somebody talking about, man, you need to learn to fall. Sorry, Tony. Forgive me for spending so much of my life being a goddamn success that I don't know how to fail gracefully. I don't know how to softly land. I'll take some judo classes. Where I'm going to take a judo class at, Tony? I don't know if you've been watching the news. But it's some social distancing going on. Although, I did walk by a Taekwondo studio, and I saw two kids in there with some grown man. And I got to say, Pops ain't look like nobody's sensei. Like, maybe he is, right? But he didn't look like nobody's sensei. Like, it looked like they was about to be in there, you know, getting their high y'all on. I don't know if it's going to be a whole class or they was like some level of prodigy. I ain't got no idea. By the way, I'm just curious. I don't know this, right? Like, do y'all still, do people still take their kids to go do hi-yah? Like, if, you know, because we, we got all these anti-bullying campaigns and I feel like, does the hi-yah have a lobby? Like a lobbying organization? Because I feel like 
the Hayah lobbying organization needs to get all these anti-bullying measures out of the schools. All these kids stop bullying. The Hayah studio make all their money because of bullies. Like, oh, you getting pushed around? Why don't you come over here, learn some of that Hayah, and then see what happens. Somebody say, where do you think the bullies go? Man, the bullies don't go, ain't over there doing high-yah. They teach you all kinds of stuff about knowing your powers and stuff like that, right? Like, isn't that a major part of the whole situation? Is getting your mind framed to the place where you don't look at it as a tool for violence? Like, most of the people I know that, like, for real know that high-yah, they're actually rather peaceful. Unless they, like, really, really good at it. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, yeah, I don't. I've completely forgotten, like, already how we got to talking about me seeing the people at the Hi-Yah studio. I'm just going to tell you guys, don't fall down. All that dude was talking about judo. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, no, don't fall down. So I said, don't fight bikes. I want to fight that bike so bad. Like, I'm just now really coming to terms with the fact that most of that all was, like, my fault. Like, just now. All right. Time for your questions. Oh, we got a lot of good questions today. Somebody asked, what finally moved you to put a windscreen on the Yeti? Gabe saying I needed to put a windscreen on the Yeti and having the company send me one. That's the microphone for those of you who do not know. I'll do this. Do you find it harder to deal with success than failure? I've had a lot of success and made a lot of cash before 30, but I feel like a bad time is around the corner. I was kind of thinking about something along these lines the other day. I think it may have been yesterday. I don't remember exactly why, but I was thinking about this. I am definitely better at dealing with failure than I am with dealing with success. But I think the reason why I am better at dealing with failure than I am with dealing with success is that I treat failure and success basically the same way, which is to say that I am far less inclined toward misery when something has gone wrong, but also far less inclined toward euphoria when something goes right. Does that make sense? Like, I kind of keep this level here. Um, Like, I think I've told this on the podcast. I've mentioned it on Instagram before, but this like legitimately happened. Um, We did the first day of high noon and like, I recognize that like doing the first day of it was cool. Getting the TV show was cool. But the truth is, man, you know, I've, I've had, I've been on television shows before. Like one thing I learned from when I worked at ESPN in 2007 and then wound up going from there to work in local radio was that like the magnitude of what I'm doing or what I'm working on. It's for me. Like I didn't go for working at ESPN to go working at 620 the bull and 
like now stopped giving the effort that I had given before, you know, like whatever work I was going to produce at this other place is basically the same as the work I'm going to produce here. It's just a matter of where I'm doing it. But fundamentally, all these things are the same. Like a radio show is a radio show, no matter what the outlet is, it's still like fundamentally a show. And so I've always been inclined like to lock in to that sort of thing. Um, but High Noon, like, was a big deal. Like, just the idea of getting the show, that was a big deal. Um, like, it wasn't mine in the sense that it belonged to me and only me, but, like, this is mine, you know? Like, how the questionable existed before I did, and we just pulled up a chair. This is different, you know? Like, this is, this has come as a result of achievement prior. Like, this is a really, really, really big deal. And I think that I could like intellectually understand that, but I never did a very good job of enjoying it um, or just the idea of it. Um, and I don't like always know why that is. I think part of it is I find it to be like uh, somewhat awkward, I guess I could say. Be like, yo, what happened to you today? Yo, man, just got a TV show, just signed a new contract. Yo, what you been up to, dog? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I tend to downplay it. And I think I downplay things also because I've been in places before in my life where getting a little too hopped up about something and then it comes crashing down. Like, I acknowledge that I exist in a place of protecting myself, um, you know, from those sorts of things. And so we did High Noon and we had done rehearsals. And like, to me, honestly, doing the show is not really different from doing a rehearsal. It's just a matter of whether or not somebody else is watching. Of course, those are totally different things, right? But this is like what my brain can easily say. And so we do the show. I asked my brother to come because he, he takes pictures. So I was like, yo, if you take some shots, that'd be dope. And it happened that my best friend from growing up was in town. And so he happened to be there. And so it was the hour show and we did the show. And after it wrapped, everybody on set like started clapping, which I 100% did not expect to happen. Like I did not see that coming. At which point I broke down crying. And like I look at it and I do think to an extent, like, there's, like we had some great days of doing that, some days that were really fun, but that was like, the. I think that moment was probably the most that I leaned in on the idea of like, yo, we actually made this happen, you know? Um, and you could probably make an argument that like I cheated myself in some ways as a result of that. But let me tell you what you're not going to see me do, right? You're not going to see me lean in on the bad feeling of failure. That's ridiculous. So that is why I say I probably deal with success better than I deal with failure, because I probably deal with success and failure the same, though it is interesting. Uh, you know, the whole Reggie Kipling, you know, not to give shout out to people we don't really rock with. But, you know, if you can be triumphant disaster and treat those two imposters the same, da 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 da, all that stuff. It's a dangerous game when you actually do it in real life. It's got pluses and minuses. All right. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Is the term new blacks funny or offensive or both? 
Apparently, you guys are having a thing over there on the internet about the term new blacks or who the new blacks are or something like that. Like, look, man, I, I really strongly suggest this to y'all. I mean, and I can't tell you how to live your life. And goodness knows, ain't a whole lot of people done a lot more arguing on the internet than I have. But I feel like given these times, there's got to be a better way to do this than arguing with people about dumb shit. Like, it, it, there just has to be a better way. This, 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 cannot, this cannot feel good right now. I, I mean, I just feel that. Like, I think people ask me about watching that Wayne Williams uh, documentary on HBO. Maybe when they open outside back up, man, shit's sad enough as is. You know, watch about a bunch of dead kids. Why would I do that? My sister wrote a book about it. I ain't read that either. I don't, you know how I feel about misery. I ain't, you know, recreational sadness, what I look like. So anyway, and I think I saw where this started, where some woman said something about this movie called The Cookout and said that we don't talk about it enough. And then somebody declared that she was a new black and she believed that since she had just found out about something that nobody else knew about it. And I thought it was pretty clear in what she said that she was like, people should talk about it more. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember that shit. Now I feel like I don't feel like my blackness is in dispute or at least not the age of my blackness. 39 years old. Anyway, here's my problem with the term new blacks new blacks is too similar to a different term that i cannot really use right now but that term has a totally different connotation than new blacks okay when i'm on the radio I amend that term and say new dudes like Drake, one of the new dudes, Odell Beckham. He one of these new dudes. Y'all understand what I'm saying here, right? So you see how I feel like new blacks is too close to something that means something else. And that something else is a very useful term for those who have the social capital to use that term. You know exactly what it means when you talk about it. It makes you laugh as a concept. Find something else other than new blacks. That's why new blacks is not funny. You're over here messing with perfection. Come up with something better. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Somebody in the chat talking about, are you curious to see how the reopening of the Atlanta Childbirds ultimately concludes? Why are you asking me about this sad shit? Do you want to be sad? I'm trying to help you out. Anyway, let's find another question. Can people quit saying that showing videos of black people being murdered will lead to awareness? All right. So this is interesting. Some of you may have seen me on the Twitters about it this morning. Not everybody agreed with me, even though I don't think there was anything to actually disagree with. But, you know, it's the nature of the beast. So anyway... Um, 
What's the young man's name? Is it Ahmad Arbery? I've read it. I don't know how to say it. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Forgive me if I've gotten it wrong. So apparently he was jogging in a neighborhood in Brunswick, Georgia, and he's three white dudes. Ahmad. Okay, yeah. He's three white dudes. Like it's almost on like cartoon stuff, right? Like three white dudes in a pickup truck ran up on him with shotgun. Like they, they said that he was a suspect in a robbery or something like that. But anyway, ran up on him, shot him down. I don't really know the particulars, though I'm sure many of you know the particulars, because a video of this has surfaced. I actually read a newspaper article a few minutes ago that said that the video was taken by one of the pursuers of Ahmad Arbery, which... Okay. Anyway, I began to see after this was shared, um, a lot of people saying, don't share the video. It's traumatic. It's painful. All of this stuff. We need to stop sharing the video. I disagree with the idea that you should not share the video. I personally have no desire to watch these videos. I don't know the last time I watched one of these. I feel like the dude Walter Scott is probably the last one that I saw. Um, but I don't think I derive any value from watching them. Um, I think it's in part for me, and I can only say this for me, and I understand that there's a certain un- uniqueness to my situation which is that I don't really comment on those things in public anymore. And the reason I don't really comment on them in public is the place where I did comment on them was Twitter. And I don't think that is a safe and productive space for my ideas anymore. And so where I did this before, I don't think is a good place to do it. So there's really nowhere that I really do it. You understand what I'm saying? But like, if I was like a regular commentator on those things, it was my job or whatever that I need to like kind of keep watching them. But I think at some point I realized I didn't need to have a concrete opinion on every single one of these cases. And part of why I did not need to have a concrete opinion on every one of these cases was because the macro level point was what it was. Like, I think for people who look at, you know, these sorts of things, right? Because this isn't something that explicitly involves the police, but it certainly harkens to that. It's a very George Zimmermanian kind of situation where basically, and this is something I think that gets lost. And I was reading Kevin Cruz's book, white flight about Atlanta. And so they make this point. This is something that's very interesting in this book, white flight, where they said there was one day where the, the, the subway cars are sub segregated front to back or the trolley cars, rather segregated front to back. And some black dude had gotten on the train. He just got off a hard day of work, like in some overalls and stuff. And he had just gotten off the train, gotten on the train and he was in the white people section. And they told him to go to the back. And he said he couldn't go to the back because his clothes were dirty and he would get it all over the patrons. And the conductor came at him, I want to say, with a lug wrench. And brother took the lug wrench from him and beat the dude damn near to death. Next day, every trolley car driver was deputized and given a revolver. Which is to say, 
if a task at hand is upholding a hierarchy based on race, what has been demonstrated is that in the absence of law enforcement, basically any white man can become law enforcement, is empowered to take on the role of law enforcement in the absence of law enforcement. Like that's what you have with George Zimmerman when you stop and think about it, because he's not actually law enforcement, right? And that's what you got here. This idea that like, yo, you broke into a house. So now we're going to track you down, dog. I'll tell you this right now. I see somebody on the street out here in Harlem and he looked like the dude that broke into something. I'm personally not interested in adjudicating the matter. Myself. Like, I'm just not. Anyway. um, That is. I bring up the whole area, though, of like police shootings and all stuff, these things that have been on camera. I don't need to be right about all of them. I don't need to have an opinion about all of them. I have a macro level belief slash understanding of what the situation at hand is. And so for me personally, following every individual instance, like down to the molecule, It's not for me. I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's healthy for me. And it's not that I'm not paying attention to these issues, but sometimes I'm content to read the story rather than have to put both of my own eyes on the video. Like if there's something that comes up in it that, you know, where there's like some legitimate like dispute about what's in the video, then maybe I'll watch it. But for what it sounds like to me, hey, man, that video looks pretty cut and dry. All right. I don't need to watch it. And so while on the tweets, I said, I was just like, hey, man, I think that it's unfair to chastise people for sharing these videos. I think people need to ask themselves why they watch them. Because like I gave you my explanation for why it is that I do not watch them anymore. I think a lot of people watch these videos and don't give a lot of thought as to why it is that they do that. I think that's something worth considering. I think that's something you should think about before you inflict this pain upon yourself. I don't think there's any guilt in saying, nah, man, I don't need to watch another person get killed. I don't see no, I don't see anything to feel guilty about with that. Myself. I don't. Right. You don't feel like it. It don't make you feel good. You ain't got to do it. But I do think that there's something to the idea that sharing these videos does lead to awareness. Because if you go back to 2014 and those times, the ones where we had videos, those are the ones that did make people more aware. There are a lot of people who after what happened in those times and seeing those videos who saw something different. My thing is though, at this point, I raised the question as to Who are the people now that are still like swayable? Like maybe they're young, right? Like maybe they're like 18, 19 or something like this. And they weren't paying attention when this was like all the rage a few years ago. Maybe that's what it is. But like on a whole lot of these things, I I get torn on like how I should handle stuff personally, because I'm like, oh, man, at this point, either you know who I am or or you don't. You don't hurt me or you have it. I'm not swaying you on this. And I don't really feel like fighting people about this. I don't feel like arguing. I'm not really in the business of changing minds anymore because I don't feel like there's any minds left for me to truly change. 
right? All I can do is kind of make some points and state some ideas is have people see him over and over again, and then maybe they figure something out. Um, but I don't have to go down this ride on every single one, and I don't think it's necessarily healthy. Like, I don't know if healthy is the right way to put it because I think that people do vent a lot of emotions on the internet about these things, but they feel like they don't have a place to do so. And there could be like something communal in people, man, because this stuff, man, for black folks is terrifying in a lot of ways, you know? And so I think there's a value in the commune and kind of the, the you know, letting those feelings out, that frustration and everything. I just personally don't want to participate in that way. And I don't blame you if you do want to participate in that way. But truly ask yourself if that's the best thing for you. And that was really the only point that I had. And people were like, well, you know, autoplay. Look, I'm not blaming you for watching it. I'm just saying, all right, if the problem is autoplay, you can go fix that. That's a switch, right? You can go hit a button, take care of that. You know? So whatever your reason is, is your reason. But I encourage you to scrutinize that reason and ask yourself if you're doing right by yourself. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Hold on. I said you had all these good questions, and now I ain't even like I'm scrolling through. I can't find one. Is video conference the best example of this would be a great adventure 20 years ago that turned out to actually be worse than what we already had? I never want to be on Zoom again once this is over. This is interesting because I've had a few Zoom meetings, but like I don't have a got to have a bunch of meetings job. Most of my Zoom stuff has been like for recording and podcast purposes and stuff like that. I am finding, though, that you guys really don't like video conferencing with your jobs. Um, Here's something I was thinking about with this. I think I forget who I was talking to about this. I think we were doing highly questionable today. How is Google not winning this game? Right? Like that, correct me if I'm wrong, but like what you see on Zoom and everything else, Hangouts was the first people like to really try to get that going, right? Like I remember I was telling them this story. This happened. True story. Some of the some some of the old heads may remember this, right? So Google Hangouts had just gotten cracking on some group stuff. And I was like, hey, you know, this is back when I could do this kind of stuff. I was like, hey, man, let's all get together on a Google Hangout, right? And so I think it was something like 10 or 25 people. I can't remember how many people it was that were in there, but we in there, and this one dude popped in. And I'm like, oh, this is old Chris Brown-looking dude, right? We started laughing, and he kind of chuckled. And I'm like, y'all look at the dude looking like Chris Brown, you know? And I just keep going on about how he looked like Chris Brown. And then at some point, the dude leaves, and I think somebody either went on Chris Brown's Facebook page or his Twitter page, I can't remember which, and Chris Brown had been like, yo, who's got a Google Hangout I could get in? And it turns out that Chris Brown was in our Google Hangout and I ran him out of there making jokes about how he looked like Chris Brown. That really happened. Anyway, it's just wild to think that this product, which is so simple, and like, how did they not win? Like, how exactly did Zoom win? Because it doesn't seem to me it's like people loved Zoom to begin with. It was just the one that they knew about. And now they on top, and they do not seem prepared for it. Like somebody says Skype dropped the ball, too. Yeah, I think that's correct. 
But when you think about it, man, it is wild that the big boys did not win. And now Zoom's out here with all these security concerns and everything else. Appreciate the question. See what else you got here. Have you cooked more than you ever have in your life during these two months? I have to say, no. I personally have not cooked more than in these last two months than I have in my life. And the explanation for that is very simple. I used to be way broker than this. <clears throat> like when I was dead ass broke, that was all it was, right? Like there is still restaurants that's out here working and slanging stuff, right? They still dropping things off at the crib. I could do that now. Like I didn't always live in New York. Like, I think one thing that can be difficult for people who live in like city cities to realize, especially some of you younger folks who have grown up entirely in the days of these apps and people pooling on their delivery services. Yo, man, when I was a kid, you couldn't get nothing delivered but pizza. Like, that was it. Like, for the longest, most of the places I live, you get pizza delivered. That was it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm cooking. I tell you this, it feels like I ain't never done so many damn dishes in my life. How I live by myself and I be keeping the dishwasher full. All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. Did I already take this question down? All right, let's get back to the top of the Did you mess with buffets before that Rona? You think they're going to come back? Look, I mean, I've eaten at a buffet or two or 20 in my life. Like, I don't really know the last time I did the buffet thing, but I certainly wasn't above it. Buffets are going to come back. Am I going back to the buffet? Highly unlikely. But if I've learned anything from watching television... People are down to go back to do a bunch of stuff that I personally would not do. I'm also not at that age where I could just sit down and be like, we're going to spend our afternoon eating. Like 16, 17, 18, even like getting up to 19. You just sit down and you can just go to work. Stick around long enough to get hungry again and do it again. Come on, man. Y'all know something about that. Sorry, guys. We got a lot of questions to go through. On Twitter, you mentioned how unbelievable many of Rick James' life stories are. Is there one you'd like to share that to this day you refuse to believe? I, it's not even like a to this day sort of thing with me or Rick James. I just read Glow, his uh, autobiography. And apparently he has two autobiographies out. I think one of them is called like Confessions of a Super Freak. Glow was done with David Ritz. And David Ritz said that Rick started writing all this stuff down while he was in prison, like longhand and sent it to him and all of this. And it definitely sounds like it's written by Rick James. Um, a whole lot of the stuff. Like, I am reluctant to tell you the things that are there because I want you to read the book. But somebody came on Twitter and put a list of all these R&B cats and was like, uh, 
which one of them you want to see a biopic from? And it was like Donnie Hathaway, Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, Curtis Mayfield, Otis Redden, um, a couple more. And I'm like, look, the answer here is Rick James. Like, it's not even close. Like, it's somebody who knows a lot about Marvin Gaye and who knows a lot about Sam Cooke. Everybody's like, obviously, Marvin Gaye, there's so many levels and layers to him. Let me ask you a real question. Knowing what you know about Marvin Gaye, what the hell about that make you want to watch it for two and a half hours or two hours or an hour and a half? Like, again, what is it with y'all in this recreational sadness? And by the way, Marvin Gaye, not a good dude and not even in a way that you can laugh off, right? Why y'all want to watch that? Sam Cooke, that would probably be an interesting one. You know what I'm saying? Um, another one with like a horribly disappointing or not it's just sad-ass ending or whatever. Dude, with Rick James, we're talking about felonies, like for real felonies in multiple continents. In fact, this is the best way that I can put it for you with Rick James, all right? And and something that you got to understand about Rick James is that when Rick got famous, he was not young. Rick was 30 when the first Rick James album came out. All right, let me make sure I got that right. Of 78, yeah. First Rick James album, Stone City Band, came out when he was 30 years old. So he lived a lot of life. And that album came out in 1978. So that means that in 1968, Rick James is 20 years old. Some of the love, he's 21, right? Like all of that stuff, okay? The most what the fuck stuff with Rick James is before he gets famous and not in the way that you think, right? Like this isn't just all, like he became a drug addict like at the end and he always had his drug situations, but the wild stuff about Rick James, it's not really like the super cocaine fueled stuff. No, man, y'all don't. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, man. Rick James movie, I have said, after reading that autobiography, I'm like, okay, so the only reason that he, that no one greenlit this sooner is because nobody will believe that this is the truth. Like, it's that wild. The one thing, though, by the way, that I can tell you about that autobiography is that the story of Rick uh, and his girl kidnapping that woman and, like, locking her up in the basement and burning her with a crack pipe, he is adamant that that is not true. That he was getting shaken down by her pimp or something like that. But he is adamant that that is not true. And I will have to say that there's a whole bunch of things that he copped to and claimed um, in that autobiography that if I was going to lie about it, I would have lied about some of those things before I lied about like I was a crackhead and did something really crackheadish in the midst of a book that has a whole lot about, you know, what you was doing when you was a crackhead. Like, Charles Manson comes up in the Rick James stuff. Yeah, that's what Charles Manson comes. And, and like, in a real way, a real way, book is called Glow. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. When you're at the top of the game like Drake is, does it matter much if your content hasn't changed over the years if you keep churning out hits? 
I mean, all depends on what you care about, right? If what you care about is churning out hits, then keep churning out hits. And that's that. However, I do think Drake wants to be seen as like a legendary figure. Right? Is it like there's no there there with him? You know what I mean? Like it's it's and my buddy David Dennis wrote a long, interesting thing about Drake where he was just like, yo, when Drake came out and he expressed his insecurities and feeling like a failure and all of this stuff, I was the same age and I felt the same way. And I told David, as I tell everybody, the most staggering indictment of that whole generation is that Drake speaks for you. But, you know, whatever. Anyway. Um, but he was like a dude that they felt like he felt like he could relate to. And then it's 10 years later and he looks at what a different person he is. And Drake ultimately sounds like the same guy. He sounds like, and he's talking about the same things. And ultimately, man, he found a formula and he's written that formula out. He's brought that formula and it's music that you guys seem to enjoy, you know, songs that you guys seem to like, but like, I'm not in the demo, so I don't know if that stuff sticks to your ribs, right? Like, do you love that stuff? Is that stuff enduring to you? Or is it just kind of like, hey, this sounds good. Like, does it move you? Does it grab you anymore? Because it sounds like he used to grab you, and now he does it. you know? And look, it's hard to be on top of the game for like 10 years, which is in effect what Drake has been doing, right? Like, it's hard to be the guy that he's been for as long as he has been it. But he was discovered and seen immediately as somebody who could sell a bunch of records. And he has figured out how to sell a bunch of records. But is he like a historically impressive musician? No. And it's wild because he has the talent one would think to do so. It's just not really what he's chosen to do. And I don't know how much he cares about that. Cause I did come away from the push of TB feeling like he did care about it. But that was part of what fueled it is like the legitimate, you know, I want to be viewed as sort of thing. But I think this also in a way kind of points out something interesting about Drake, which is before him. Like, I, I, I hate to be on that. Like there's rappers and then there's MCs, right? Like I was never really too deep into that at a different time. But, like, I don't think of Drake as being an MC. Not that he can't be an MC, but I don't think that he thinks, like, I don't think he thinks of himself in that context. I think he thinks of himself as, like, a pop star, right? Like, I don't, I don't think he looks at himself as being, like, an MC. And even Kanye, who I think viewed himself in a lot of ways as a pop star, also, like, really wanted to carry it like an MC. I don't know how much Drake cares about, like, hearing the term, like, MC. Does that mean anything to him? I don't know. And that would be the answer to your question about does it matter when you're at the top of the game? What part of the game are you at the top of? Are you getting the respect from the people that you want the respect from? You know, and that's for him to answer, not me. Look at that. I almost gave y'all an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing about once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.